Welcome everyone. Thanks for joining us today for another film roundtable. Uh, my name is Maria Prieto and I'm here to introduce our panelists as well as our special guest moderator today. But before we start, I'm going to lead us through a moment of silence to honor all of the reported worldwide deaths as of today, which is January 21st, 2021. And uh, that number is 2,082,605 worldwide deaths. We'd also like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nations brothers and sisters whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence. Thank you. Thanks everyone. Um, taking that time to just really remember that we're still in the midst of this pandemic. It's important for us. It's important to be aware of how safe we have to be, about compassionate we have to be towards one another. Um, and it's just an important message for us at Film Roundtable to really start off with. Um, so with that, I'd like to introduce our talk today. We have joining us editor William Goldenberg, who has led an incredibly prolific career editing films for directors such as Michael Bay, Catherine Bigelow, Ben Affleck, and uh, Paul Greengrass, most recently for this year's News of the World. Uh, he's been nominated five times for the Academy Award and one for Argo. So welcome, William. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, applause, because we don't have an audience live, but I'm sure they're, they'd be clapping. <laughs> also joining us today is cinematographer Darius Wolski. Uh, one of the world's leading cinematographers, helming projects alongside Ridley Scott, Rob Marshall, Tim Burton, and Paul Greengrass as well for News of the World this year. Uh, so Darius, thank you as well for joining us. Thank you. And finally, we have cinematographer Nico Aguilar, who you guys might recognize as a frequent panelist on these roundtables. And today he's flipping the table and he's gonna be moderating. So Nico, welcome <laughs> back and thank you for doing this. Thank you so much, Maria. I really uh, appreciate it. And thank you guys so much for being here. <laughs> Nico, before I hand it off to you, I just want to thank our listeners uh, for their continued support for this platform. And I just want to remind everyone to subscribe to our YouTube channel, our uh, Instagram, follow us, be up to date on all of our upcoming talks. All right, Nico, off to you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Maria. So uh, first of all, I want to say how much I enjoyed the film and both of your work on, on the film is uh, really incredible and really special. Uh, we're living in a really momentous time right now in history, as you guys know, and there's divide, there's pandemic and violence. Um, would you agree that this film is, is very timely to, to that? Um. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it got more timely as we went on. I think we knew that it was going to be timely based on divisiveness in the world and, you know, five years after the Civil War. And obviously the same is true for right now. And as we went along in the post-production process, the pandemic, you know, came into our lives and, and uh, it was another parallel to, the, to what was happening at that time. So it became more and more relevant as, as time went on, as we were, as we were finishing the film. Yeah, yeah I, say, I think, oh, sorry. I, do, I think it was Paul's intentions from the beginning. My first conversation with Paul about the mm -hmm. project was, there was this intention to create this, whatever the story is that the background is divisiveness, you know, the country that it's in a very, very peculiar time of history, yeah. Yeah, because narratively, there, there's scenes that are very shocking that uh, I think um, are also very relevant socially. Um, but I, I want to talk that one of the biggest similarities between an editor and a cinematographer is the importance of building a strong relationship with the director to understand his or her vision and form the foundation for creativity and effective collaboration. Darius, uh, I understand this is your first collaboration with uh, director yes. Paul Greengrass, uh, but you've both come from the world of, um, of working on big action driven narratives. Did you find you were quickly creatively aligned from the beginning? Yes, yes. I mean, even though we come from a little bit different worlds, but because uh, you know, action is such a broad, broad 
term, you know. Yes. Yeah, there's there's an action element in all the movies I've done, but also there's there, there are other elements that I think are I pride myself a bit more than action. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, we Paul is very comfortable with action stuff. He's done, you know, Bourne's and all those films. I've done some stuff with some action, but uh, I think more important was just to find a language for the film that uh, I haven't done a Western, he hasn't done a Western. So mm. that was the most important, the most interesting part of the whole thing. You know? We knew and, uh, some, some shootouts and stuff, but uh, just to find the, just to find the modern look at the, at, uh, at the Western as a genre was, that was the biggest challenge and combine, combine Paul's uh, relentless uh, uh, documentary approach to filmmaking. Uh, and I said, I just brought something else just to make it a little bit bigger than, than just, you know, chasing somebody with a camera. So even though the whole movie was shot handheld. Yes, yes. And I noticed that you didn't use any cranes uh, and that you sort of used, as you're saying, a more contemporary look through sharper glass. What was the sort of mentality behind that, that decision-making? Just, I think it's too, it's really nice to restrain yourself. You know, it's like uh, mm. when you do big, big action movies that take forever, you have every possible tool available. And, and it, it's just nice to be restrained. You know, you're just making it, everything becomes more personal and more, you know, better observed. And, and, uh, and also it was just probably playing against cliches. I think there were two cliches that we successfully mm. avoided. I avoided the crane and Paul avoided the bar scene. <laughs> every, every person yeah. has to have a bar scene. And, and the location we were at, there was of course a bar because there are all those old sets that we revamped to create, you know, different things. So of course there was, a, I think the last time this bar was used was in one of the Coen brothers films, I'm not sure. So anytime we walked to this place, Paul said, no, 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 I don't want to shoot in a bar. But we needed like a kind of town hall place for Texas. So, and he was adamant, this is just, this is not going to work. And eventually production, uh, uh, designer and I said, listen, just get rid of the bar. It's a great space. So we took the <laughs> bar out and that's the, that's the scene when, 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 when Tom has his speech uh, in Texas, in Dallas. So that's the bar that is not a bar. Yeah. The <laughs> original was a bar, but, so, but here we go. But there was no bar in the whole film. That's it's so effective. I couldn't even tell that that, that was. No, no, we just took the bar out. It was just a space. All I'm saying is, <laughs> There were two cliches we tried to avoid, you know, no bars and yes. no cranes, which are, you know, kind of essential for all the Westerns. And I want to talk a little bit, something you touched upon, which is, uh, I understand that Paul Greengrass has, uh, a, you know, he has this whole beginning out of journalism and documentary world. He went to uh, places where there was a lot of conflict and he spent um, about a decade doing that. And in interviews, he talks about how much it affected his own aesthetic. And I know, Darius, that, that you got your start doing BBC documentaries as well. Um, is, that, is that true? That is true. But, you know, my BBC documentary career was as a camera assistant or electrician. So all I was to do is, I was gotcha. to do is put a couple of redheads and light up the interview. <laughs> nevertheless, nevertheless, it was an incredible, incredible education because BBC opens the door to places you would never, you would never encounter. You just do interviews with politicians, scientists, artists, writers, actors. Uh, so it was just more of a like an overall education into the world. Yeah. And, but in terms of style, no, no, that had nothing to do with it. That. Do you feel I mean, like I was, never, his... I was never I was never in a combat zone with you know with yeah <laughs> flying over my head you know hanging on to Arafat like you know Paul has a lot of great stories like that. <laughs> That's awesome. Nevertheless, I was always fascinated by documentaries. I was always I always I think the my visual style is drawn from strong still photography that it's reportage photography that it's you know that basically somebody walks into some place and takes a shot with a beautiful light coming through the window and it is documentary. He just happened to have a great eye and captured beautifully. So that's my 
fascination with documentary, watching a lot of street photography, National Geographic photography. Uh, I mean, Chris Manges in, in, in Killing Fields, he comes from strong documentary. I mean, that was incredibly beautifully stylized movie, but had a very strong documentary feel to it. So that's my approach to documentary, yeah, to understanding the world through whatever you can say, documentary. Yeah, that, that's that's beautiful. I, I know exactly what, what you it's, mean. It's, because it's tricky. The minute you point the camera, it becomes objective. So, you know, I might a little differ with Paul about that, you know. Cause... Yeah. I, I'm curious because uh, I know that that type of aesthetic uh, certainly influenced the planning of, of this film. And it also influenced how perhaps it was edited. Well, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, like you say, Paul's style has shifted slightly. I mean, we, this is my second film with Paul and 22 July being the first, we're sort of halfway between. And he, he wanted, I've heard him you know, in interviews say he, he wanted to slow down a little bit. And so that film is shot, you know, it's all handheld, but it's a little more traditional angle wise, you know, there's over shoulders and two shots and, you know, which normally he doesn't even have any of that. It's just all sort of grab, feels very grabbed and, um, so news of the world was even less so. He wanted, you know, and I was always very cognizant of, and he, the discussions we have, he wanted the environment to be a character in the film. So I was always very cognizant of that as I was cutting, you know, to, to keep that in mind all the time. And by, you know, talking to Paul over and over and over, you know, every day of the, you know, the shoot and every day months before, sort of you get this, you know, transference of, of thought, you know, where you feel like you're now, his, he's floating around in your head, you know, everything he said. So you, as you're cutting, those things come back to you and, you know, uh, what he's going for, what's, you know, stylistically he's going for, what emotionally he's going for. So it was over a long period of time, many discussions to sort of get his aesthetic and what he was trying to go for in my head. And what's interesting is um, I understand that he brought you in super early in the process too. Yeah, I mean, fortunately for me, it's the first time I've ever been involved on that level. I mean, because we stayed in contact since 22 July. I, you know, I knew that he was gonna use me on his next film. So when he got the book and the uh, original screenplay, he sent it to me before he even started writing uh, to wow. read the script and also the book, which I thought both were very, very good. And, but I, I knew he would take the script a little, uh, into a little different place. Uh, we talked about what those things were and, you know, he let me read outlines early on, early outlines, early versions of the script. And I even got to go to London for a couple of weeks uh, last summer, the previous summer, uh, the summer before we shot and, you know, went through the script with him and his development person, you know, page by page and talked about everything. So, I mean, it's not like I had any great hand in writing the screenplay, but I at least, I looked always looking at it from an editorial point of view. That's kind of what I tend to do when I'm in meetings with directors because I usually um, meeting the directors very close to the beginning of production. And, you know, the script is the script at that point, usually. Um, so I talk about it more in terms of, uh, from an editor's point of view strictly so that, I can, you know, that's what I'm gonna be contributing. So I figure that's the one I should speak to. Um, so yeah, it was a real gift to be able to do that. And mostly what it did for me was have you know, all these long discussions Paul and I would have about the script and the story um, really, again, like I said earlier, had a great impact on my deep understanding of what he was going for. Um, yeah. And then even along the way, you know, he was constantly rejiggering, rewriting, and, you know, the ending of the film changed several times, Darius knows. And, um, and it was great to be involved in those discussions. You know, and Paul, you feel like you're more of a sounding board, you know, I think it helps him to, to have somebody to talk with and he makes his own decisions, takes the suggestions he likes, you know, but he has a firm uh, handle on what he's going for. But so it, it was just great to be that sounding board, you know, and have a, a small contribution. But I, I, oh, think, wow. I think as an artist, you know, he has absolute right. He was constantly searching, which is, which is wonderful, you know. It's not like just having a script and, and, and check, check scene number five nervous. He was constantly searching, trying to find something different, trying to, trying to improve it, make it better, make it better, which, which is the true, you know, which is a true creative process, yeah.
I agree. It's uh, it's how I, whenever I think of, of Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, I remember reading about how every single day he would come on set, he would change something or he would, he would be relentless in the process. Uh, and William, I heard you mention that the ending went through a lot of changes. Darius, could you speak a little bit more about that? From, uh, from a, like a set perspective was great because we shot this quite beautiful scene and actually looked quite nice and everything was great. It was, and then like halfway through it, Paul, comes up to says she looks at the page looks at the page looks at the page takes his time and uh, i know there's something because there was like there was a scene there was a scene in original ending was a scene that he's reading and he finds her that she actually found him that in the speech mm. all of a sudden she comes up and she says a dime so you know this kind of uh and so we're doing this and he halfway through he stops and she's just like, this is just not gonna work. This is just, everything is fine. You know, coverage technically we all get all, all great. looks good and you know, Tom is great. And then see, let's just, let's just forget about it. Let's just go outside, find, shoot one of those other scenes when he's contemplating sunset by himself, very simple, you know, so we just gonna shoot something and then Next day, he comes with a completely different rewrite, yeah, completely different concept. And that was it. And it was it's very powerful. Yeah, everybody, it, it's in the beginning, you have to get used to it because, like, what is he doing? Why is he doing that? But because, you know, if you program on the schedule when you're making a film, technically, you're just in the rhythm, you have everything figured out, you just want to get it done and it puts you a little off guard. But then you think about it, which still crew, me and my crew guys were saying, is he right? Is he doing it? He did it and it works and it's beautiful. Yeah, it's great. He did the same same sort of thing on 22 July. So I was a little more used to it where <laughs> he would, you know, almost rewrite. And these were Norwegian actors. I mean, they all speak English there, but they, you know, it's not their first language. And he was, he rewrote pages almost every night before shooting and would hand the actors new pages. And I think, so, I, 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 I've never really talked about it like specifically, but my feeling is he, I think he feels like it keeps the actors on their toes so it doesn't feel too rehearsed. It feels like fresh and new. And I find also that he adds, like he likes to add a little extra dialogue. And I will, all, I will constantly say to him like, well, you know, you don't need those lines. You know, looking at the pages and he'll say, I know, but you cut it out. I'd rather shoot mm. you cut it out. And I think that he gives the, I, at least from my point of view, it gives the actors more like meat to grab onto. So especially short scenes, you know, where they'll shoot them a little longer and I can cut them down and that, but the actors have something to, so they can get into it and really be immersed in it as opposed to, you know, four lines and you're out, they'll do 12 lines and I'll cut six of them out, you know? So yeah, it's a really, I think it's a great technique. And, but also it's great that he has the objectivity to, see something isn't working while it's happening. And that is a unique guess. Yes. Usually what'll happen, I think you'd agree, Darius is I'll shoot it, you get it, you know it's not gonna work. And then you gotta go back six months later and pick up an ending after you've previewed. And he, um, he's able to stay, take, you know, he's able to maintain his distance and step back and take a look at things like that. And it's a, it's a unique skill and I wish every director had. And yeah. I think it's, it's I, I really admire it too, because to step away from the momentum of what's going on on set and in the process is something incredibly, incredibly hard. Uh, Darius, I'm curious to, to, to hear if, um, if you've had any moments in, in your career where you felt like you needed to step away from a creative direction for the best of the film. I think all the time, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> Pretty much, you know, that's why that's why I could relate to, to Paul so easily because everything is a creative process. Everything is, I mean, in his case, he's telling the whole story. So it's dialogue, it's how it's going to be edited, performances, like with me, even when it comes to lighting, you know, I'm just famous from turning lights off, you know. God, this is just too much, you know. This is not working. <laughs> and but, uh, do you... Yeah, but that's, you know, it's, again, it's a creative process and pushing it as hard as you can. I mean, this is going to work, you know, and some of it yeah. doesn't, some of it, it doesn't, but it's okay, you know, because we're not perfect. If we do everything that's safe, it's just not going to be, it's going to look good, but it's not going to be interesting, you know. 
Have you ever? You always, uh, you know, I've been fired from movies for that too. You know, so <laughs> so it just makes you a bit of a thick skin, and you know. <laughs> but uh, that's what ever... that's how you push your push your push your skills or whatever your creative mojo, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Have you ever had to um, recommend to a director to sort of leave a scene if uh, something's not working more from a creative sort of general standpoint, not yeah. just from your department? Yeah, yeah. I really? mean, I had a conversation oh. with, with Paula about, about, about the movie, you know, several, you know, sometimes I'm, maybe I speak truth a little too, too strong, but you know, right, you know, not. And yeah, you, I mean, you I, had a moment I, like this? I have my, my, my ideas about, you know, everyone gets involved in the project, you know, we care, you know, so that's where, that's where it comes from because we care about the story and stuff. So if certain things are missing and they're not just done perfectly, you know, you always... And, and I think... Oh, with, uh, all, with, all, with all directors, you know. I yeah. mean, I'm just lucky to work with really talented people that they don't feel threatened by that. Because sometimes, you know, <laughs> directors are some yeah. kind of overpowering cameraman. You have to be very careful about that. But... All directors are so strong and so set in their way, so they appreciate it actually. Yeah, uh, it doesn't I bother. Think you're, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're bringing about something that's so important for our, our listeners to understand, which is that uh, I think what makes both of you so talented and so good at what you do is that you're not just doing your job; you're you're looking over the story and the script and and your collaboration goes beyond sort of your job description. I think that uh, filmmaking has very specific roles and everyone's very specialized, but um, I found at least in my experience as a filmmaker that to truly make a story work, you need to care about every aspect of the story. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I understand why, you know, because, you know, you can just- Yes. Sometimes yes. you get caught up with some pretty picture, you let, oh, that's so pretty. And there's no- Yes, I exactly. It's like, oh my God, but it looks so- you just have to throw it away because if, if it doesn't work, it doesn't, it's not, I don't think that photography is just about pretty pictures. It's about understanding the story and make images interesting that they complement, interpret. Enhance. Yes, I agree. So, yeah. And not, not only as a cinematographer, do you sometimes have to stray away from doing just aesthetically beautiful things for the sake of the story, Absolutely. but... I imagine that as an editor, you also have to make choices in the editing room that might not favor the most beautiful shot, but favors a shot that's going to further the story. Absolutely. Yeah, all the time. I mean, although the great thing about working with people like Paul and Darius is they're shooting shots for a reason that tells the story, that, that is helping tell the story. So in general, those things sort of go hand in hand with what I choose, you know. In, with lesser experienced people, sometimes, yes, you have a pretty picture, but it's not, it's not telling the story. So you end up using something that the DP might like a little less in his lives, but it's telling a, a better story. Like I said, the great thing about, like I've been lucky, especially in the last you know, bunch of years to work with really skilled people who are at the top of their craft. So you get beautiful images that also tell the story. So yeah. it makes it a little easier. You know, you have, you have the best of both worlds. So, um, Thank you, Darius. <laughs> <laughs> and not only that, but you've also worked with cinematographers that prefer single camera, such as Roger Deakins, and then other cinematographers that uh, work with multiple cameras on the same shoot. Um, and Darius, you've also worked on films that uh, I'm sure have used multiple, multiple cameras, but also uh, I'm sure you've worked on films that just use a single camera. Uh, and I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are and how that affects the creativity of a project. Hmm. <laughs> it's I did my second, I third movie in my career was was Ridley's brother Tony, mm -hmm. and I was very young and I jumped in the big water and we were in the submarine and we were shooting oh, three wow. and I was tearing my head. <laughs> and I was after the five minutes to film, it's like one day I'm just gonna make a camp movie. I'm gonna operate myself single camera it's gonna be so great you know what it never happened <laughs> it never happened so i maybe i envy envy roger but 
yeah, <laughs> that he managed to control the whole thing. But from another perspective, it's, it's like, you know, Paul is basically one to, because Paul loves static arm handhold narration from one point of view. So we had two cameras, but he, one camera narrates the story. I mean, I mean, going to Ridley that I work with, he uses four cameras all the time, but he's one of those people who can really design a scene that basically when we're rolling, we're cutting it. I mean, he basically cuts in, in his, while well, he's watching it, a camera, okay, give me this camera, now it's this camera. So, but it's a different way of, of telling the story because he captures the thing, you know. Uh, and it requires quite a skill. It's just like another level of thinking, you know, because you just have to also make it look interesting. And, and I would never do this with any of the other directors because they would be just lost. They wouldn't be able to comprehend that thing. I did the movie with, uh, yeah, with some other directors, Ridley Cosmos, how's it going? Yeah, one camera. And Ridley said, I would shoot myself with one camera. <laughs> because his brain is going so fast that he has to go. But with Paul, it was great because when we did this, when we, when we did all this, all the speeches, all the readings, uh, we've used, we start with two cameras and then it immediately became obvious we need three cameras for that because it's a pretty stationary setup. You have him in one place. So it's good to shoot three sizes from different angles. And, and because the speeches were way longer than, than they are appear in the film, it was exhausting for Tom. So for him to just do it, you know, five times instead of 25 times, if you had to move camera to get yeah. different angles. I mean, that just really helps actors, you know, and, uh, and also gives, Bill, I'm sure gives you also possibilities to cut, you know, in the same time from one place to another and just not worry about it's gonna match or not. So I think that helps editors too. I mean, Paul, I don't know, what. how do you feel about it? Oh but, yeah, no, I, uh, the, for me, I mean, it's, like you say, in, in the hands of skilled directors and cameramen, you get four angles, you know, I, when I worked on Catherine Bigelow, the first film, six cameras on everything. Yeah. Um, and then on Detroit, it was four cameras on everything. But, you know, the DPs and Catherine are so skilled that you get four good storytelling angles and a lot That's of- right. And then you get a lot of other little bits and pieces and, and uh, detail that you might not get. So I, I love having more coverage than less because especially with these speeches, the readings that Tom did, they're long, the takes were long. So you get a ton of footage, but, when you, don't, but you don't get that many angles. And you, know, you think, oh my God, I have seven hours, eight hours of footage. Yeah, but I only have like seven, eight angles too. So it's really hard to put a long scene together and make it interesting when it's just, you know, a limited number of angles. So when I have more material that is given to me by somebody who knows what they're doing, yeah. it, it go, it's sort of counterintuitive, but the more the better because I have options, you know, there's ways out of scenes, there's ways into scenes, there's making moments that weren't there, you know, but when you have just a limited amount of coverage and it's very straight, it's hard to make something out of nothing. You know, it's hard to, yeah reinvent a moment or, or invent a moment that wasn't didn't exist so yeah I, I you know I love it with lots and lots of footage it takes time to go through but you end up with such a better film and so many more options and and uh and you get a richness in the film too with all that material it's, it's and also it, I want to give credit to operators because if you have cre creative operators of course there's a camera whatever whatever a b camera <laughs> that capture essentials but there's always this extra camera who like I don't have a great angle, but but then I'll maybe, maybe I'll just go somewhere that yeah. you know, and they take initiative. It's like, oh fuck, this is sorry, this is great. I never <laughs> thought of it. You know, it's like absolutely, you know. Yeah, no, I always encourage them to as long as we get the gist of things that's necessary for you, then then yeah. when you see something, some details, something when you have extras, you have beautiful faces, you have stuff like this that it's better to capture when they don't know they're being photographed than turn around, look at them, and then, you know, the magic is gone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that all that kind of stuff is like, it, to me, I mean, I love, you know, I've worked with people like Catherine and Ben and Paul. I said, 
a similar uh, put yourself put the, put you in the room with them kind of feeling and and that material all that material is is really makes that happen for me you know to have all that detail and and it gives you it gives it flavor and and um and like a richness and a depth that that it, you can't substitute for yeah but but due to respect you know the the single camera narrative if it's really cleverly designed like what roger does what spielberg does what polanski does you know that just this one camera this that that tells the story you know it's it's a beautiful style of working, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm not taking this down too. It's just this just this two two ways of telling the story. Way more than two, but you know, two <laughs> these are two dramatic ways. Yeah. Okay. Dram dramatically different way. Yeah. Were there any scenes, Darius, that, that you felt um, changed a lot in from when you conceptualized them and sequenced them in your brain to how William uh, approached them in the editing room? Uh -oh. Well, he got rid of a lot of scenes that kind of were not great. <laughs> I'm grateful to him. <laughs> well, they were just, I mean, thank God they were just like making movie too long and, and, and uh, uh, we had some, you know, light problems and stuff, you know, it's as usual, but so that was a big saving grace. I think that, you know, the, the movie went through a lot of stages, but, Bill found like a, you know, it's really beautiful, beautiful structure basically appeared after you put everything together because there was a little bit of, I, it was way too much. That's what you said, Paul does. It was yeah. more than we needed. And uh, some stuff was, uh, yeah, some stuff I'm missing, but you always do. But but the the whole core, the structure of the film is very coherent and very very simple, and that's the most important thing to find simplicity when you're telling the story. No, it's yeah. absolutely with everything with with performance, with editing, with photography. When you look at great things, it's just simple, you know. Yeah, and always the solutions to the problems usually the simple. Like not to overcomplicate it. The simple solutions are usually the best solutions, you know. And you 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 did a great job finding that, you know. Really, yeah, great. Yeah, I mean that's what you're talking about the process before. I mean it takes. That's why first of all, it's why there's a director and then an editor and not just one person doing it. And also, it takes it takes time. Like the expression that Carol Littleton, the woman who cut ET, you uses. You can never know in week one what you're going to know in week ten. So. So you, you get to you know it sort of evolves you know that's why the, the the process is the process you can't do it in a yeah you could cut something in a weekend but it's not going to be as good as it would have been if you you know took three months to cut it yeah just you, you start understanding the story in a deeper way and you see what's repetitive and you see how to simplify things and it just those things have to reveal themselves and it takes a minute yeah and I think a good example of that is uh, how you guys approached the action sequences when uh, in, in the film. That one scene when um, you have the shootout. And I understand that second unit was also involved in, in, uh, in the planning and, or the, the execution of it. But usually you have second unit perhaps working prior so that then you know sort of what to shoot for first unit. How how did how did that work out and and how was no no we, we no no I think it's the other way around the first unit should okay leave the stamp yeah. and then second unit cleans it up yeah that's otherwise yeah that's I mean that's how I've I've always done that way the first unit comes in of course those big action movies you know like whatever Fast and Furious that's just that's completely different set of skills which I can't comprehend you know. <laughs> when you have a huge unit, someone in Thailand and someone in Pinewood on the gimbal is shooting dialogue, you know. Uh, but what we did, we, you know, we, the most important thing was actually finding a pr proper location. And we took a long time to mm -hmm. find a good location. And there was one incredible one, but we couldn't go there because there was uh, Native American territory. There was a lot of artifacts. We couldn't go there. But and then we had this, this logistic problem that you have a wagon that's going up the hill and then is going really up and breaks. And then you want to have a spectacular, you know, rock formation cliffs. Unfortunately, 
the road never goes that steep, so you have to cheat it. You have to find one location for the the wagon goes as high as it can and breaks down, and then just carry the wagon to the higher space and and shoot the whole thing in the place that's way more way more uh, uh, spectacular, dramatic. And in the end, the best location was found by our stunt people, by, by our stunt team. They finally found it. Oh wow! We went over and over and over and this and that, and it was this was okay. This could have worked. That was all right. And that was also Paul was relentless about keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. And then we decided to there. And I think most of the shot stuff we shot ourselves. I mean, because all the stuff was with Tom and, and Helena, we did ourselves. Uh, it was a great location. It was just a great location. And the great thing is that there's very few bullets because they don't have a lot of bullets, you know. So right. it's not one of those <laughs> relentless shootouts when people, you know, just with Uzis that they fire for half an hour and, and they never yep. run out. Or six shooters that have like, you know, 20 rounds. You know? Exactly. So so that was, that also added to drama. So that was, that, you know, that was, and the whole story was a dime, you know, with, with running out of bullets and, and the gun that it's like a bird shot. This, the whole thing that played from the beginning of the film and paid off. And just clever. Um, so William, I know you were very involved with the second unit of uh, shooting of these action sequences. And I also wanna hear a little bit about how you can edit a scene, an, an action driven scene so that it also feels important for the story. Well, that's the most important thing always, you know, great action scenes to me, you know, are always story driven. You know, you can have a lot of the eye candy and car crashes and whatever, but if the story doesn't advance and the characters story doesn't advance and their emotional story doesn't advance and it's just you know you're back it's you're back where you started you know so so the most important thing is that paul wrote it with a story in it and it, you know it's important incredibly important for their relationship it's where they become a team you know and he realizes just the depth of her intelligence and um so that you know early in my career I did this film called the, uh, the Long Kiss Goodnight. And um, I made Gina Davis in that film so evil, you know, that she was unlikable. And we previewed the film and that it sort of came, came, you know, I realized that you have to make the characters accessible, even, the even when they're like the bad guys, you know? So it's always about characters and what they're going through and, and you know, emotionally and obviously story-wise. So that I always, lean into that as much as I can, you know, and, and try and bring out, especially a film like this, which is a, you know, it's obviously a period film, but it's reality based. It's not, you know, I've done some Michael Bay films where it doesn't quite matter, you know, in terms of what the characters are going through, they're robots, you know, so uh, it doesn't really, <laughs> really matter. Although it matters a little in those films too, but yeah, so I'm always thinking story, story, story. And, you know, then, Obviously you want to make it exciting, you want to make it dramatic and tense, but that often comes from the reaction of the actors. You know, it's looking at their faces, seeing them in jeopardy, seeing how they feel about certain things, the desperation. Those are the things that make the rest of it sing to me. So I'm always hanging on to those moments and looking for those moments to, to you know, bring the audience into the characters. And, and um, you know, there were plenty, you know, Tom and Helena, their nonverbal acting is so good that it was, you know, a lot of that was, you know, a gift to me that they, they had actors like that, that, you know, you didn't have to manufacture it, it was there, you know, so it was just, you know, sort of staying out of their way and trying to find the right pieces um, to express certain emotions. So it was, um, you know, it's a credit to Paul's screenwriting really to, or any screenwriter who writes a good action scene. Again, it's like, if there's a story being told, it's, and it's, dramatic it's it makes that action team twice as good to me i yep. think it's it's important it's like in action scenes it's what's in stake mm. that it's not just graduates mm -hmm. people killing each other because they just one guy is a bad guy one guy is a good guy or something yeah. when there's a stake when there's something they're fighting for that's what makes it more, more interesting you know and yeah that's what that's what was in this film yeah yeah paul actually added some stuff with all may the bad guy, you know, the main bad guy. I mean, he, he was obviously a, a soldier that had been sort of feels like he was let down by his, in this case, the Confederacy, 
you know, I mean, he says when they're doing their walking and talking and he's, you know, trying to, you know, get Tom to give him the girl. And he starts to, he started, he talked about, you know, poor man, poor men fighting a rich man's war, which is sort of what happened in the South. If you owned a certain amount of property or a certain amount of slaves, you didn't have to go to war. It was only the poor men who were fighting. And he's this disgruntled, you know, guy looking for, a, you know, a slice of the a slice of the pie for himself. So there's dialogue in there. Aren't, aren't you just sick of, you know, uh, all this stuff? And and it, and that he added that on the day, and it makes it makes his character have some depth. You know, you you understand where he's coming from, so you don't just see him as some, you know, guy twirling his mustache. He's a guy, a real guy with real problems. And I think that 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 kind of stuff always makes you know the conflict better. It's true. And I really like uh, one thing that, that, that you're mentioning, which is the concept of bringing reality into fantasy. Uh, Darius, one thing I, I loved um, that you did in Dark City, 1998 by Alex Proyas, was that you're one of the first people to use sodium vapor lights. And you did it in a way that made, that brought reality into this fantasy world. Um, and I know that, that, you know, for a period piece, that's important because you want to ground the audience. Uh, I'm curious, how were you able to bring some reality into this world um, from your department and perspective? You know, just to be as true to, you know, to what this world looked like, you know, like if the nights were all done with, I mean, not all of them, but as much as I could with with the the real hurricane lamps. I mean, unfortunately, wow. unfortunately, Universal didn't allow me to use them all because they considered it being a hazard. Uh, so <laughs> I had to electrify the ones, all the ones in the background, because they were afraid we're going to put the locations on fire. Uh, but <laughs> that was immediately lighting them was 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 a real real flame light. Wow. So uh, I mean that's what I've done. You know I've done I've done this even way before digital technology was uh, you know with with you know like pirates and stuff. Uh, always fascinating. You know we all grew up on Barry Lyndon. So if you're cinematographer, your dream is to shoot Barry Lyndon. You know, <laughs> thank God. You know, and it's kind of cheating now because technology is so good that you don't need a special lens and. And just you know, whatever incredible amount of candlelights and mirrors and stuff. But he was the first one, so it's like it's like an initiation. So I started on pirates and moved on to a whole bunch of period movies. So this this was just like you know another another extension of that. It was great. And 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 our prop guy found this beautiful beautiful hurricane lamp with this little magnifying glass in the middle that when you look at all the close-ups, when, when Tom is reading, it just has this beautiful shape and stuff. That was really nice. Yeah. And you know, even the- Magic hour and stuff, just trying to- Yeah. Bit, bit nerve wracking, but you know, it worked in him. <laughs> I can imagine. Even, even the beginning when you have uh, a day exterior scene, I really appreciated the fact that, um, you know, you could have very easily put in 20 overheads and made the light super soft. But in a way I saw that, that you made the choice to embrace the hard light of the middle of the day, because it makes you feel like you're in the middle of the day in the sun and it's the elements are harsh. And yeah, it's, 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 just, really... it's, this whole, it's this whole thing, you know, when you're becoming a cameraman, you just wanted to have everything perfect. So you end up, and then you have more money. So you end up having a big crane, you silk everything. and. Everything matches perfectly, and then you look at it. Okay, matches and what? It's boring. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I always love to 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 play with 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 real nature. You know, just capture the way it is. And even if it doesn't match here and there a little bit, it's more interesting than just to you know turn some lights on in a cloudy day and light something up and or silk this. You know, it's just. I mean, of course, you do this here and there when you go when it's when it's a real problem, but when it gets too far. But always try to go with with real light. Again, going back to Ridley, you know, with he's the man who's done millions of commercials, and he moves so fast that that you can really shoot the sunset four page scene in two hours. Yeah, wow. and I've done that, and, and it was like. 
there was you know, for the one movie we were supposed to shoot at night. So really said, look at this, it's beautiful. I said, yeah, it is. So let's shoot it now. I said, but really, it's four pages. Don't worry about it. <laughs> wow. And, and, it's, and you do it. I mean, everyone, it's, of course, everyone tenses up. Actors tense up. Everybody, and, and you get it done. And we did few of them like this in, in our film, you know, few of them that way. But it's, it's always nerve-wracking, and it's always... But you know we did it. Yeah, it's great, and it's it's just a great time of the day. Everybody's everybody. You know, you set it up, you prepare, and you go. And it's just it's a little bit like you know shooting a live performance. You know, that's it. It's gonna be over yeah. in twenty minutes, an hour. If you didn't get it, you didn't get it. So <laughs> that's what makes our life more exciting. <laughs> I agree with that completely. And um, and we had no we had we had we had some issues we had some issues because Paul wanted to reshoot one of the scenes, uh, not reshoot just reshoot half of it and 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 Magic Hour one was beautiful blue sky and another one was cloudy so, but you know then then you go to you know our fantastic Stefan Nakamura and you just do a bit of a yeah. tweaking and try to match Stefan Nakamura is my D, digital DI uh, colorist. Who you owe, owe him a lot too. Yeah, he's terrific. Yeah. So, but you know, it's better to take a chance than not to, you know, or shoot yeah. the scene during the day. You know, how boring would that be? You know, I'll be perfect matching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the benefit of being an editor is you get to make a lot more mistakes. <laughs> and if you're a director of photography, you know, you get, you can say you get, it's magic hour and you're trying to grab a scene and, you do something, and it's you know I get to I could screw things up over and over and over again, and and then just keep, go back and undo, and it's like start to start fresh. So it's a I get to be wrong a lot. So it's, that's not fair. That's not fair. <laughs> it is what it is. No, it, well, I was going to say that one of my favorite scenes uh, that you've edited, William, is an Argo, 2013, a film by Ben Affleck. And it's the beginning sequence when the protesters are storming yeah. the, the consulate. And um, you actually mix eight millimeter footage that was shot by Ben himself with 35 millimeter footage shot by Rodrigo. And, uh, oh, lost my AirPod. But you do it in such a way where uh, I know, you know, because I've seen some of the behind the scenes that it's obviously all fake and everything. Everything. But when I first watched it, I really thought that it was real. And that was such a great way for you to bring this element of reality into this fantasy world. And I just wanted to connect that back to sort of like, um, did you find that there's any sort of opportunities for you to do that on News of the World? I mean, not in that way, really, because, you know, obviously it's mixed format, right. you know, I mean, not, nothing you could do that overtly, you know, I didn't like, like Darius was saying, I didn't want the style of the editing to be, you know, fighting the, the, st the style of the, sh of the way the film was shot and right. also didn't want it uh, to impose a style on something that didn't, you know what I mean? That it didn't really belong. So, totally. you know, I, the way I cut is dictated very much by the, what the material is, you know, or what the nature of the screenplay is and the way it's being shot. So. You know, I certainly wouldn't be a place where I would use, uh, you know, newsreel footage. Because, you know, I mean, for, I guess our version of that was the newspapers themselves, you know. Um, sure. But, right, right. but uh, so we had that, but not really, you know, in, in, in Argo is written in the screenplay, actually, that it was supposed to be, you were supposed to, see, the way it was originally written, you're supposed to see it, our, you know, our film. And then when the guy jumps over the wall, then we cut around to a reverse jump over the wall we were going to use the existing footage the real footage from the real embassy takeover and it looked really bad the footage we got and then ben and it was ben and rodrigo and then some of the extras had like 16 millimeter cameras and eight millimeter cameras they were all stuck in the crowd so and everybody thought it was real footage from the day like i i answered that question a bunch actually for everybody and then later in the film there's a lot of newsreel footage that, so that he's like you say it brings you into that but um they did such a great job of, of, of doing that stuff. So we, in the beginning sequence, we dropped the idea of using existing newsreel footage because we had our own. But then it I just totally bought it. it. I totally bought it. 
Oh, really? I yeah. I mean, completely, but didn't question any of it. I said, oh, that's oh, great stuff for the gym. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, it was some of the extras, you know, they had these little 16, you know, um, millimeter cameras and they, and they were just running around in the crowd grabbing stuff. And some of it was unusable uh, and a lot of it was good. And it just, it added that <laughs> extra, you know, feeling of reality that, uh, you know, that sort of brought you into the film uh, in a way that, you know, we were able to continue that throughout the film. And it was a lot of it was written in and some we added ourselves, but you know, it's um, the thing I find with that kind of stuff is if the audience is in the moment, it doesn't matter that the aspect ratio, aspect, aspect ratio changes. It doesn't Absolutely. matter that you're using a different film stock. It doesn't Absolutely. matter if you go black and white. It doesn't matter because the audience is engrossed in what your story you're telling. You could ask them afterwards, what did you think when the size of the thing came in and went out? And they were like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't even know, you know. Completely agree with you, bro. So it's, totally. it's more about the storytelling than it is about like anything else. You know, as the audience engaged, yes, then you're fine. You can do anything. I completely agree. And, and I think a lot of people get stuck in the convention of like how to shoot a scene or, or, or how to approach it. Darius, I'm, I'm curious. Um, what type of risks do you do you uh, did you find that you could take in this specific project, and um, and also I want to bring about the, the idea that you're completely right. We are as filmmakers the bridge between the story and the audience, and it's up to us to decide whatever we want, as long as the audience, as, as long as we could be a good bridge, right? Um, but in this specific project, I know you, we try to do a, or you try to do a very uh, um, contemporary and, and look to it, but did you take any risks? The one risk I took, which was completely not a problem at all, it was when we, we put the wagon on, on this, on this little, 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 not even low loader, it was just basically like a, trailer that we pulled by a by a pickup truck because we didn't have a proper camera truck camera car we just used we just my grip just built the speed around the pickup truck and that that's also the same vehicle we used to to pull the wagon for the dialogue scenes and and it was just like an ordinary trailer it wasn't some kind of a film fancy thing and because it was had only axes were in the center the whole thing was extremely wobbly and bumpy and we kind of tested it, I said, oh, it's fine. And then we have this, you know, scenes, dialogue scenes going forever between two of them and and we all on the dirt roads and stuff. So so poor guys are hand-holding this stuff. I mean, it was just, they were like, oh, man, this is not gonna work. This is not gonna work. <laughs> I said, it will. And it's, it's this whole thing is fully handled on the bumpy road on the most unstable wagon ever. And it just, it totally works, you know. It totally works, makes it totally believable. and. Uh, and it could have been smoother, but why, you know? <laughs> no. Yeah. And it's not offensive. It's not, it's not like it's, it's not induced. It's not like I did. So that was kind of thing I was debating. I mean, probably I was also trying to save my operators because it was pretty exhausting. Tom Hanks had a great line. He looked at them when we were, we were switching the horse and he looked at my operator and said, hey, the horses get the break. <laughs> <laughs> that was a classic line. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious, uh, William. Did, oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to. I mean that's. Various. I mean other risks. You know, again, pushing magic hour to the last minute. That's always a risky thing. Uh, second unit, I'm always nervous about. But you know, I have to say one thing: that one of my operators that I've used throughout my whole career, I sent him to the second unit and it was great because he was part of the A unit. And it's very good that it's the same person who understands me, what I'm doing to translate the thing to, to second unit that can just get out of control quite off, quite easily, you know, or just begin to make a separate movie. So yeah. collaboration of my operator became a second unit DP. Great nice. stunt guy, it just was great. So that was another, thing I was a bit nervous about, but that worked out great. It makes a yeah. huge difference. It makes a huge difference in my end because I often get second unit footage and it feels like it's from another movie. 
Because Martin understood what you know, and I'm sure he talked to you too all the time, right, Martin? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he yeah, he always just very meticulous. His Swiss brain was Terrific. in there. Yeah, I uh, the previous podcast that I was a part of uh, was between me and Rodrigo about uh, me working as a second unit DP for Glorias, and I totally know what you're talking about because. Uh, you know, there's one film that you're making. And when you have a lot of creative voices, you need to make sure that all the creative voices go to, to one place. Um, we are running out of time, but uh, before we finish, I wanted to end by talking a little bit more in general terms, um, because I think that film is, is a, a, a lot of what we're trying to do in Film Roundtable or they're trying to do is demystify the world of film and demystify sort of the people that are behind these great minds. Um, and I know that, you know, uh, life has been tough to, to get where you guys have been. Um, and I, I, I know this is a very general question, but to everyone who's trying to get into filmmaking or get into cinematography or editing, I'd love to end with sort of like hearing maybe your advice um, to people who are just starting out. I'll let you go first. Uh, me, oh, thanks. Thanks for me. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> well, well, I think it's just keep trying, you know, and you just have to have a lot of patience and passion to, you know, because it's going to be a lot of obstacles in the beginning. And it's just this classic catch 22. You know, they're not going to give you a job until you have something to show. You have nothing to show because no one gave you a job. So, <laughs> so I mean, it's, everyone is facing it. I had a great opportunity, beautiful story. When I came to New York, I knew some people who were studying at Columbia University. And it was graduate film school, which was predominantly for writers and, and Paddy Chayesky came and spoke and the guy said, oh, and she's come Paddy Chayesky speaking. And he was talking about this and that. And then, and then the final thing is like, so any questions? So of course, young students come in and say, how do you break into business? And, and he had a great answer. He says, it's mo mostly for writers more than us, but he said, listen, if you make your career, if you have your big house in Beverly Hills and the pool and everything, just remember, come back to New York and take a subway. That was their advice. That was Father J.S. advice, which I think is quite beautiful, which is stay real. Stay real, that's all. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's funny you say, hang, you know, stay patient. I always say this, perseverance, you know, is, is if you want to really be an editor or whatever you want to be, you know, it's going to, like, there are going to be a lot of times where it doesn't happen for you and you have to stay positive and persevere and keep trying, keep trying on every avenue and then, I mean, you know, the great thing about technology right now is that, you know, you can go out and shoot a movie on your iPhone, you can cut a movie on your iPhone. I mean, you, know, you can do all kinds of stuff like that. So, and those are just tools. So, you know, you have to develop your skill as an editor. So start cutting stuff, you know, that's the easy thing to do. And, and um, right now where, when I started, it was, you know, where am I, how am I gonna cut something without having a job and some film in front of me and a movieola and what have you. But, now you can just do it at home on your laptop and, and you can really, and then, you know, what I always tell students about editing is watch, obviously watch a lot of movies, but start watching movies with the sound off and you can feel the rhythm. You can really feel the rhythm of the editing and see why, you know, you really get a sense of it that you don't get when you're just sitting there and letting it kind of wash over you. You know, you want to look at films of the way they're edited or the way they're shot. And then you want to look at it, for, like I said, with the sound off and you get a real sense of the musicality of it and uh, and the rhythms of it. And, and, you, and it, it's really, really helpful. It was really helpful for me when I first started. Um, just, just I couldn't agree more. This is such a great trick. I've done this in, in my in my film school in Poland. We watched movies with a cinematographer with no sound. Mm -hmm. It was the, the best lessons I've, I've ever had because you just start seeing things that otherwise, you know, that's a yes. great. And, and I totally agree with you that technology is so liberating. So young generation have it you guys have it much easier no excuses just keep going <laughs> yeah because when i first started people would say to me well, what do you want to be i, I said well maybe direct, probably an editor so well go edit stuff <laughs> i'm like what 
I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't even have a desktop computer, you know, let alone anything iMovie or something. So I, I was just, okay, well, I don't, you know, how do I do that? And I couldn't. So I had to, you know, learn by getting jobs and getting with the people who, who uh, were nice to me. I mean, you know, also, you know, I looked for a mentor and uh, I was lucky enough to start working for Michael Kahn, who's Steven Spielberg's editor. And I worked for him for several years and, um, he mentored me and helped me in my career and gave me also just gave me a lot of confidence, you know, telling me that I could, you know, you don't know your town that I know, you know, so it was lucky for me to have somebody like that because I didn't come from a movie business background. I was, my father was in the delicatessen business. So for me to have somebody like that tell me I was good at something, you know, really helped me. And it also helped me just logistically, he would recommend me for stuff and recommending, you know, somebody, a recommendation from him really meant a lot. So look for those mentors, you know, people who can support you both in terms of getting you jobs and also making you better at your craft. Well, I want to thank you both so, so much really for your time and uh, for bearing with me. This is my first time moderating, but it, it really has been such an honor with both of you. And I really enjoyed the film and uh, I really admire both of you and your trajectory and your work. Um, I also want to thank you so much to our listeners. I want to thank Maria Prieto for trusting me with this. I want to thank Aaron Wild, Doug Torrest, Matthew Wolf, the rest of the Film Roundtable community and people. And um, please follow these artists. Uh, they're incredible, amazing, and uh, maybe watch some of their films with the sound off. So thank you guys. Thank you. Again. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank Take you. Care. Goodbye. Bye, Darius. Thank you. <laughs>